Hey there, I'm John Collins. Welcome to Inside Intercom. We've been thinking a lot about our platform strategy lately and how to help app partners deliver even more value to their users by building on top of Intercom. Within Intercom, you can already embed third-party apps in our live chat messenger and messages. And this week, we announced a new group of apps that users can add to their Intercom inbox so they can provide faster and deeper customer interactions. So today, I'm excited to sit down with Liam Booger Azule, Head of Marketing at Mad Kudu, a predictive lead scoring tool for B2B SaaS companies and of course one which has an Intercom integration. Mad Kudu's strategy is all about integration with other platforms to link customer intelligence with customer engagement. So I wanted to hear why the strategy makes sense for Mad Kudu and his advice for other teams thinking about building apps for their product. Let's get going. Liam, welcome to the show. We've known each other for a long time, so uh, great to, to finally have you on the podcast. And of course, like myself, you're, you're a covering journalist who has now uh, made the jump to SaaS. You're currently head of marketing at Mad Kudu. What prompted that change of career from, from journalism to SaaS? That's a great question. Thanks, John, for having me here. It's uh, great to finally be on the podcast. Um, yeah, I was, a, I was a journalist for the first five years of my career. I stumbled into journalism by starting a blog, uh, writing in English about the French tech scene pretty niche niche approach, but it, it ended up being right time, right place. Uh, and for about five years, I was the leading journalist covering the, the French tech ecosystem and covering U.S. companies with French founders and things like that. The big thing that made me jump was j- journalism isn't very profitable. So I bankrupted the company that I had founded <laughs> around that. And I realized that a lot of the stuff that I enjoyed about journalism was brand building. And I, and I looked around and said, I'd really like to continue doing that, telling a narrative, building this story, but I'd like to do it in a place where the revenue is a bit more predictable. Of course, the, the venture was Rude Baguette, which itself was, in naming it, was quite a bit of a brand statement, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, once, I mean, man, I, I couldn't, I couldn't have done it more, you know, ac- accidentally. Um, I, I had an old moniker, which was, uh, I used to go by the Rude Hitchhiker when I was in high school because I was a hitchhiker and I would tell my friends, no, 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 take me all the way to the door. You know, don't, don't drop me off halfway. And one of my friends said, you know, you're a real rude hitchhiker. And I was like, I think I'm going to keep that. And, uh, you know, France baguette, I kind of, yeah. I kind of fell into it. And yeah, I, I mean, that was the beginning. That was my first venture in, in building brand. And I think I, I really enjoyed that process. And even to this day, people still know me predominantly for that. And I'm really proud of the relationship that people have with that uh, brand. Cool. And of course, now you're you're over at Mad Kudu, which we have a lot of fans on our sales team of, of Mad Kudu. It's, uh, I think it's one of their favorite products. But Give us a bit of background on what, what it is, uh, Madkudu is, and, and I suppose the philosophy behind the, behind the product. Yeah, definitely. Um, so p- plainly stated, uh, Madkudu is a predictive lead scoring platform. So essentially what we do is we leverage uh, customer data and we look for the, uh, the statistical outlying data points that are the best predictors of whether someone will convert or not, how much money they're going to pay, whether they'll slot into a, a self-serve versus an enterprise plan, things like that. Uh, essentially what we're doing is we're looking at past customer journeys to predict future customer journeys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the the goal there is really to say if we can do that delivered in the form of an API or pipe directly into products like Intercom, then we can actually build more relevant customer journeys because we can tell you in a matter of milliseconds at the very beginning of the customer journey whether you should focus on giving this person a great journey and what kind of journey to give them in order for them to convert. Okay, so it's based very much around historical customer data and customer engagement. Does that make it a challenge that you don't sell then presumably to companies that are just starting out because you presumably have to have a, a certain amount of historical data for Mad Kudu to, to work. 
Yeah, I mean, we, we definitely got started very early on working with bigger companies with sizable data just because the, the problems more interesting and where we saw the opportunity in our vision, those are the companies that were hitting the, hitting the wall fastest. Uh, but the reality is everyone does lead scoring. If, you, if you're just launching today on Product Hunt, you know, you, you know that a director at Microsoft is worth more than a restaurant, right? Yep. So that, that's just an easy thing for you to say that you, it doesn't matter what your product is and who you're selling to, someone with money is better than someone without someone with authority, right? Yeah. You know, the basic budget authority need and things like that. And and as those companies evolve, how complex that get changes. It goes from a really simple algebra formula to a polynomial equation to something a little more artificial, you know, a, a little more complex that requires something like Mad Kudu. And so today what we've done is we've, we've aligned that evolution with how we price. So for the most part, we proactively go after mid-market and enterprise companies like Segments and uh, like Envision, these, these great companies with high inbound volumes. But we also make our product available for free or for very, very cheap to, to small businesses. For example, uh, we have a, a white-labeled version of our product on Zapier called Lead Scoring by Zapier. And, and many early-stage companies use Zapier to put together their business processes. And you can actually leverage Madkudu without ever, ever creating an account because, for the most part, you don't have customer data, so you don't need to connect to us and give it to us. And we, and we actually have an out-of-the-box lead score that's pretty good at differentiating a director at Microsoft from a, a restaurant owner. Okay, so it's out-of-the-box it doesn't necessarily have to be your data that it's trained on. It's or exactly, yeah. and you still get the advantage of building in that API experience, which allows you to start building a logic that's going to scale with you. Which is, I want to first identify is this person someone I should talk to, and then figure out what the best journey is for them. Yeah, and of course, as a marketer, I'm sure the fact that it's API based has its challenges. I mean, it's it, it's it's harder to have a thing that you're trying to show to people or to actually demonstrate to them. Oh, definitely. I mean, on the one hand, I would say that. The, the thing that most excites me about marketing teams is how much they're, sh they're tending towards looking like engineering teams. We see the role of demand gen in, in, in growth operations and really the role of marketing operations taking a front seat. And so one of the things that drove me to be such a fan and, and ultimately to join Mad Kudu is I love the way they, they have a developer or tool approach to an audience, to to a buyer that is to a team that isn't necessarily a developer on on paper, um, but at the same time, yeah, it 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 means that how people interact with us is very different. Some people know us just as a field name in their CRM or in their marketing automation tool, and, th and they never really understand unless you know their sales ops or their marketing ops person says, "Oh, that's actually something we're paying for." I mean, one thing you've been uh, really strong on, I think, is is having an open platform and making sure that you're. You've built integrations with lots and lots of other other products. Uh, can you share some about how that strategy kind of came about and how you've kind of grown the, those integrations? Yeah, definitely. I mean, early on, we knew that uh, in order to, for our product to be successful, we needed customer data. And we wanted to make it as easy as possible for people to give us that customer data and for us to continue to get it in real time. Mm -hmm. Because the more often we can get it, the more we can update it, and that, that just makes life easier. And so really early on, based on the first customers we were talking to, the, the early adopters who really understood what we were trying to do, we built integrations in a sort of you know must-have, yep. first-come, first-served basis, right? And really, there's, there's sort of two ways that we approach integration building. One is reactive. We have a customer. And that customer needs, you know, needs to give us data from a tool that we haven't integrated before. And we have to make the decision of, is this something that we think we'll do on a repeatable basis or not? And if we feel like it's a product that we will have more and more customers using, we're, we're happy to build an integration. And, and, there's, and, and it might just start with just for us to get data, and then, it might, and then it grows over time. And then there's proactive integrations where we say that's a platform where we see huge value. We might, we might unlock access to an audience that would really understand the value of Mad Kudu, but 
maybe isn't really thinking about us right now because they can't really see us in their product because they live in that world. So somewhere there's a whiteboard of, of uh, targets of companies that you think will unlock a lot of value for you guys. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's an, an endless I don't know, Google spreadsheet, mm-hmm. Notion doc, uh, Dropbox paper, you know. But presumably you want to get to a world, though, where people are building integrations around you as well. I mean, it's not just that you will build integrations. And that's, and that's largely already the case. I yeah. mean, um, we, you, know, some, uh, you know, as you know, integrations are kind of a natural evolution of people internally building it first, using APIs and connecting it together. And because of the nature of who we're selling to, a lot of people just build things together internally and then or, or, or they start to build something. And then we turn around and help them and we support it. Or, mm-hmm. uh, for example, we had trouble getting, uh, we, we ended up uh, open sourcing a, a Node.js connector to Marketo or Pardot or, or whoever, because we had so many customers trying to manually pull data out of it that they were having trouble with that we just built that and, and built it together with them and, and, that, and then it became open source. And so, you know, th- that, that relationship is really fluid in the sense that, mm. you know, when we have people that are proactive about it, we want to support them. And then, and then when, when, when we see platforms we really want to go after, we're, we're, we're happy to go after them. Yeah, you go and unlock that value. Exactly. And uh, obviously one of your most recent integrations was with Intercom. How did you focus on Intercom? And I suppose what are you hoping to get out of that integration? Yeah, I mean, I mean, Intercom was a really obvious bet, right? Given given what, what we've talked about just now about, about Mad Kudu, you know, we sit at the intersection of customer data and customer engagement. We are a customer intelligence platform in some ways. We're not the engagement tool. And we don't, for the most part, hold on to customer data. We, we really use customer data to refine and uh, make decisions about intelligence, and then we push that to the right engagement platform. And that makes Intercom a great, an obvious partner for us. You know, Intercom sits across and has customer data from the beginning all the way down to the end of the life cycle, mm-hmm. and they have engagement tactics along that as well. And so if, you know, for, for us, it was very clear early on that there were a lot of use cases that we could unlock and that we could inspire people with just by sitting inside the Intercom platform. Mm-hmm. Things like, how do you schedule a demo while you're asleep mm-hmm. with qualified people? And that one's a really tough one. Uh, and we had yeah. some people doing that through schedule a demo forms. But as we know, f- forms aren't really sexy right now. And no. people, are, people don't assume when they fill out a form that they're going to get a call two hours from now, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, chat is a really great way to feel like you're go- moving faster. It's sort of the natural progression of DMing the, the airline account because you know that the community manager behind that account has infinitely more access and is much more responsive than, than trying to, you know, yep. go through the customer support channels. Uh, and so Intercom really unlocked the ability to showcase things. Uh, one of the things we love is the, is the Fastlane experience, which is as people are trying to schedule a demo or learn more information, once we get the email, if we, we can quickly qualify that person and we can figure out who they need to be talking to. And, and we can even push the calendar of the sales rep directly to the person. Mm-hmm. And live chat is a great use case for that because it feels one-on-one. And you don't have to think about, oh, give us your information and we'll get back to you. We can jump straight into, okay, that's awesome. Yeah. Here's Dave's calendar and he's available in 30 minutes. And I suppose it also speaks to that concern I think that a lot of people have about putting live chat on their site where it's like, I'm going to open the floodgates. Like, you exactly. know who you're exposing Dave's calendar to. Exactly. And, and that tends to be, you know, people tend to have an, a reticence about going full throttle with live chat, which is, do I need dedicated resources or is this just another way for me to have email and people are going to leave stuff and we'll say, okay, we'll get back to you. Mm-hmm. And we see that the people who are most successful are the people that create the most relevant conversations using live chat. And Mad Kudu is really that glue in between the automation and the one-to-one experience. We're translating the the feeling that you want to get out of a one-to-one conversation into a one-to-many conversation. Yeah, yeah no, we're, we're, we're very excited about tools that sort of like help scale that ex- experience. 
Uh, and, and that really seems like what you guys are doing. What is your advice for other product teams or, or you know, uh, startups that are trying to build integrations and tr- trying to get this off the ground really, really quick? Like, wh- how do you choose? You touched on a little bit about, like, when should you think about integration and, you know, who to choose to integrate with early on? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. I think you have to think about a lot of things. Um, you know, over the past nine months or so, we've been building a lot of relationships with different platforms that we felt like had complementary aspects and we felt like we could both benefit from working together. And a lot of the things we learned is you have to think about a few different things. One, you have to think about what are the use cases that you're trying to solve for? Mm-hmm. And, and less, is, less is more in this case. Like, are, where are you trying to add value? And what are the tools people are using to do that today? And, and are you augmenting or are you replacing that tool? Mm-hmm. And for the most part, you should be augmenting because the foundations that work are, are foundations for a reason. Mm-hmm. And, and instead of ripping up the foundation, it's better to build something on top of it, build a yeah. better roof, a better, a better floor, things like that. And the other side of that is you have to think about who is using that use case. Um, for us, we're very mid-market and enterprise. We're, we're not a self-serve go-to-market company. And so for products that are solely self-serve, and solely SMB or VSMB, it can make less sense for us to go after it, yep. right? And, and you have to weigh the, the pros and the cons of, of who is actually going after it and who that target audience is. And, and I think the last thing is just thinking about what is the vision that you are driving for and what are the, in, in your vision of the future where your product is ubiquitous, what are the roles of other platforms and, and how can you demonstrate and create evidence of that vision through an integration? You know, for, for us in the role of the future of customer intelligence, Intercomplice Mad Kudu makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. We see very much how the customer engagement and the customer data is going to live somewhere and customer intelligence is going to augment that value. We see how we can be pulling data from outside of Intercom because we know people use multiple tools across the MarTech sales tech stack and, and the whole G- go-to-market stack. And we see how we can take that customer data from your Redshift database, from your segment, from wherever, and we can bring that right back into where your marketing, your sales, and your customer success team is working. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to bring it in the form of piping in the raw data in the raw fields. We can just pipe it in with thumbs up, thumbs down. Yeah. Or you, very good, very bad. You got what you need to make to do the action. Exactly. And I think when people are building integrations and, and thinking about the ecosystems they want to play with, you really want to think about how does this communicate the vision that we're that we're trying to bring to the world? You mentioned already uh, you kind of the common thread I think is that you you like building brands or you like creating brands. It's it's something you're you've always been super passionate about. I think uh, during the time I've known you, how do how do you in such a crowded and competitive landscape? How do you stand out? I mean, Mad Kudu seems to have done a, a good job of that in terms of, of like a small company that's got a built a big reputation. Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, on the one hand, I think I cheat a lot, which is I would tell you that I just go and work for really great brands. Mm-hmm. I would tell you that I'm, I'm an imposter. I'm just going and working for brands that are already great, and all I'm doing is articulating it. And I think for the most part, if you're trying to build a great brand, you should already believe that you're a great brand. Mm-hmm. The question should just be how do we tell other people about it? And, and I think for the most part, that comes in a lot of forms. Um, there, are, there are a lot of really fundamentals of, let's say, 20th century marketing that still apply a lot today and people Mm -hmm. try to reinvent the wheel when they really shouldn't. One of them is thinking about the category that you live in. Most people think that categories converge and they don't realize that for the most part, categories divide. And and in that division, some of them fall away and some of them get bigger. And so 
you know, the reason the the, comp- the brands we like so much are thought of as category creators aren't because they did something that didn't exist. It's because they redefined the way you look at the category mm-hmm. and they rebroke it up. Apple, Apple, you know, changed the way people thought about personal computers, right? Uh, Slack changed the way we thought about communication uh, in team messaging. Zoom has changed the way we think about video conferencing yeah. in a space that we largely all, already existed. Yeah. We all but thought it was done. <laughs> we, yes, we thought it had been done before. We'd yeah. seen the billboards before. Um, <laughs> and, and, yet they, and yet they came in and said, no, no, no. Yeah. And, and I, think, I, I think for the most part, you have to look for what is the very obvious reality mm-hmm. that just hasn't been articulated yet. And yeah. I think I think usually you feel that reality. It's it's usually why you get emotionally excited about a product. Mm-hmm. It, it's why I get excited about products like Intercom or products like Algolia, where I used to work, or products like Mad Kudu. And then it just becomes a creative effort of trying to think about why am I excited about it, and how can I articulate what makes me excited to other people. And that's where having that background as a journalist, as you know, really comes in handy. Is as especially as a tech blogger. In, in the you know early 2010s, a lot of your job was to explain a really like geeky concept mm-hmm. and get people in the Times or on the Rude Baguette to understand why should they care about a hosted search API. Yeah. And I think having that experience teaches you how to pull the story and, and, and stretch it and, and articulate it. And I think, I think that's what that's how brands stand out mm-hmm. is you find the thing that already got you excited and you turn it into everything. And how do you how do you measure the success in terms of, of of your brand efforts? That's a really that's a really good question. So SaaS SaaS is surprisingly quote unquote easy to do. Mm-hmm. So if you think about brand as the top of funnel, and yeah. then you think about measuring top of funnel success, I mean the the top of top of funnel is very wide. Obviously, it's the widest you're going to be measuring if you if you even try to measure it. Uh, and the bottom of it is the beginning of lead generation. So uh, when we look at the bottom of funnel metrics for brand, what I tend to look at is inbound organic signups or for enterprise products, demo scheduling, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if someone comes to your website through direct traffic, they type in intercom.com and then they create an account and that's all you have from an analytics perspective, what does that mean? That means they were already convinced of your product before they came to the website. That in some way or another is brand. It might have to do with your paid acquisition and your, and your demand gen team and a bunch of things. But at the end of the day, someone came, was convinced. And, and generally what I find is if you have a strong brand, it's going to be north of 90 to 95% of your, of your lead generation is going to come from inbound organic. That's how you know you're a strong brand. That, that means more than 9 out of 10 leads you're not buying on, at the moment you're getting them, at, at least at the last touch. And then one of the, pro, one of the things that I like to do is run brand awareness surveys um, uh, where you run what's called an assisted or unassisted uh, uh, brand awareness survey where you say, if you're thinking about building lead scoring, what, what kind of products do you think of? Right? And you want to look at what percentage of people, assuming that the people you're talking to, the respondents, are your target market, what percentage of people think of Mad Kudu and what percentage don't. And then, then you say, if you think of Mad Kudu, what do you think of it? Do you know who Mad Kudu is? Would you cons- if you were building, you know, changing lead scoring today, would you, would you consider Mad Kudu? And that's the assisted side of it. Mm-hmm. And that gives you a good benchmark as a data point, and you can run that over regular intervals to see how, how in different markets and different geos and different cities is our brand evolving based on the activities that we're running. Yeah. Um, I mean, at, at Mad Kudu, I suppose you're, you're selling, as you said, to mid-market and enterprise companies. Marketing to, the, to those kind of companies like the Envisions and the IBMs and, and so forth is, you know, it's it's definitely a bit easier if you're you're a, a larger company with plenty of resources yourself. But I mean, you're 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 doing it at a small company. 
like how hard is it to market to those big behemoths when you're when you're a company at Mad Kudu size? I mean, on the one hand, I can take very little credit for uh, Mad Kudu working for company with companies like IBM. Um, I would say for the most part, that comes from the the clarity of vision of our co-founders. They know exactly who they're valuable for, and they know exactly what the problems are that IBM is facing. Mm-hmm. Afterwards, I think people underestimate the power of of word of mouth mm-hmm. in referrals. For the most part, people who use Madkudu heard about Madkudu from other customers using us. Some of them are more vocal, like uh, Guillaume Caban. Some of them uh, are are not actually the buyers, like Stan at Intercom, uh, but are very vocal because they they understand and they're bought into the vision. But for the most part, that that drives awareness and and that drives conviction. Afterwards, the, you know, when you're doing enterprise sales, you know, we're probably one of the smaller companies to be soak too compliant, right? Because we know we're selling to people for whom that matters. We know that we're going to go through certain steps and we've gone through them before the hard way and we like going through them the easier way now. Um, and so there are, there are some things you can do functionally to make that easier. But also, I think just recognizing the value of understanding who your champion is, who your buyer is, and understanding what is driving them. And for the most part in the space we're in, marketing ops has a lot of autonomy and a lot of authority and, and, and a lot of clout inside the marketing organization, mm-hmm. no matter how big or small the company is. And, and we tap into that and we really try to speak directly to them. Because we know if your marketing ops person today goes to your VP of marketing and says, I need Mad Kudu, the VP of marketing doesn't even need to know what Mad Kudu is. They're going to say yes. <laughs> but I mean, word of mouth, it's not, I mean, I think some people very much think word of, confuse word of mouth and, and almost leave it to chance because they assume it's just like reputation. Right. And, but you I mean, to have word of mouth, you really have to be thoughtful about like the message that's out there and what, what are like, try and ensure what people are going to be saying about you. Right. Yeah. And we, and we spent, you know, last year, I spent a lot of time when I first joined Mad Kudu just talking to our customers and understanding what do we do for you? Hmm. How do you describe us to someone else? Yeah. Uh, would, who would you consider talking to us about? Why? Why would you? Why do you not talk about us when you're with other marketing ops professionals? What's missing in order for that to happen? You know, there there are platforms uh, like G2 Crowd that allow you to tap into the power of of, of word of mouth and, and almost quantify it. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, it's about delivering a great product and, and making your customers happy. We're very customer centric at Madkudu, mm-hmm. uh, to almost to a fault in the sense that the first and foremost thing that we think about every single week is how do we going how are we going to delight our customers because we know that that's paid off for us historically and we don't see any reason why that doesn't scale and of course you came into marketing from the the non-traditional background how much do you think that is a help when you you think about these things i mean you you drew the comparison in terms of like being able to find those stories mm-hmm. and pull out those stories as a journalist but just just generally having that kind of outsider's view in, in a marketing world, meaning that's a, a, a pro? That's a great question. I, I think about that a lot. There are a lot of career opportunities and positions that are just not available to me. I will never be the best candidate for a lot of roles that I'm very interested in because of where I'm coming at it from. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there are a lot of activities that I feel like I am uniquely placed to do. Things like brand marketing, there, there isn't really a career path to get there. I've met other people who do brand marketing, and for the most part, it's people who didn't know that that's what they were doing and were somehow doing it for a long time. And I think it's almost necessary for these horizontal positions like brand marketing, where you're interacting with, you might be interacting with the product team, customer success, you might be directly managing comms, social media, content, design, and you need to understand how all of those things work together. Uh, and, And I think for the most part, 
I enjoy coming from an outside because I still feel in my head when I think about what I do is I'm trying to build a media company inside a non-media company. It's like I'm trying to find a benevolent benefactor <laughs> to fund my journalism. I'm just doing journalism about the benefactor, right? And, and that helps. Uh, it's, got, it's kind of going back to the, the very early days of journalism, isn't it? When uh, uh, journals had rich benefactors, basically. Yeah, <laughs> except before, I think you at least tried not to write about them. I think you at least, yeah. you at least now, I, now I just directly write about them all the time. <laughs> okay, Liam, thanks for those uh, great insights. That, that has been really helpful. How can listeners keep in touch or uh, follow you? What platforms are you active on? Oh, I'm I'm everywhere. I try to be as accessible as possible. Um, anywhere you want to go, backslash Liam Bogar, B-O-O-G-A-R, I'm there. Um, I'm very responsive on Twitter. If you send me a message on Twitter right now, I will respond. Literally, just send it right now. Like, open up your phone and say, Liam, you told me to message you, so I'm doing it, and I will respond I, right now. I can attest to that, definitely. He's, he, he's very responsive. Liam, thanks again, and uh, thanks. Sorry it took so long to get you on the podcast. No, no, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to the next time we do this together. Take it easy, John. Thanks for listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more interviews, go to intercom.com slash blog or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. This is Inside Intercom.